0: Matthew 26, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will. But as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watching me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My Father. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. Send from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal? More than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted, deserted him and fled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. Oh, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding, discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit. That we may know the truth and be set free. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen. It's a very powerful passage. We see Jesus. This is the night he's going to be betrayed. This is when he is going to go and face unjust courts, false accusations. He's going to face mocking and beating and torture on his way to the cross. He does this knowingly. He knows what is before him, and he continues on. Out of his holy reverence and obedience to God, out of his love for those to whom he would save, he continues going forward. It's amazing when you look at this passage of Scripture and you see how it's framed. It's beautiful. God's Word. And you see this framing. If you look at verse 31 again, so here's the frame. And in the middle of this framing, you have Christ and the cup. So first you have to look at the two, the front and the back, the covers of this section of Scripture where it's framed in. So verse 31 again. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away, On account of me. For it is written. I will strike the shepherd. And the sheep of the flock. Will be scattered. Prophecy from Zechariah 13. They denied it. Peter said. They all may fall away. But not me. In verse 35. All the other disciples said the same. And then you turn back to our last verse that I read, verse 56. But this was all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, that all would include Peter. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. In the midst of this passage of Scripture where you have Jesus confronted with the reason he came to earth. Jesus is confronted with the very reason that he was born. He was born to die. He was born to go to the cross. He was born. He came and took on flesh so that he could take the sins of God's people. So in this moment where we see here the greatest moment of obedience and the greatest moment of sacrifice and the greatest moment of love, it's, it's surrounded by the lack of obedience and the inability of even his closest friends. So in the middle of this passage of scripture we're looking at, it's bookend, it's it's surrounded with this very clear message. We human beings cannot save ourselves. It is absolutely impossible for us to save ourselves. Unless God makes us alive and his Holy Spirit dwells within us. And unless we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are given the gift of faith and trust and believe, if we're faced with following God and losing our life and the things of this earth, or turning away from the will of God and keeping our life and keeping the things on this earth, we'll choose the rule. Every time. Every time. So this is an amazing statement we see where this passage is framed in. So you see that the disciples, and they're, they're claiming that they would follow Christ even to death, claiming that he was more important to them than anything of this world or their own lives. But you see, in the end, it's, it's not true. It's not true. You see the necessity of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises that will come in Acts 2. But in this moment, you see, without the Holy Spirit and without that new heart and new mind transformation through the power of the Spirit, it is absolutely impossible for any human being, even the ones who walked with Jesus and sat at his feet and saw the miracles and lived with him for three years, Even for them, it was impossible. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. So in the midst of this fear and disobedience and self-preservation at odds with the will of God, you have Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. So this is the highlight. This is trying to emphasize how unlike us and our fallenness, Jesus Christ is. Now Jesus is fully human, fully God. He is God's son in flesh, incarnate, in meat. And he's tempted and he faces temptation and challenge and difficulty and suffering. But there isn't one moment that Jesus commits one sin of thought, word, and action. That's so hard for us to understand. Because for us, there is hardly can be recalled a moment when every thought, word, and action that we have done has had some contamination with sin. So here you have Jesus Christ in perfect obedience, yet in his flesh, he is agonizing over what he's going to face. So in the midst of that book ending of the inability of the disciples and our inability to save ourselves, we see Jesus Christ. So I just want to focus your eyes in on Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Jesus praying in Gethsemane. So we're going to focus in on Matthew 26. And I want you to just uh, focus your eyes in where Jesus is going to pray. If you start at verse 38, Jesus makes clear, my soul is overwhelmed from sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then we have the beginning of the three prayers. Verse 39. Going a little further, he prayed with his face to the ground. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And again in verse 42. He went away a second time. And prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then it says he prayed that same prayer a a third time. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So my hope and prayer is that this evening, at this Good Friday service, we will understand the cup and what it means that Jesus Christ is going to drink the cup. So when Jesus is referring to this cup, he's taking us back to Jeremiah 25. So I encourage you to turn to Jeremiah 25. This is going to be the main focus for us tonight because it's here in this section of Scripture that we find describe this cup and you're getting an image of this cup and all that is in that cup and what that cup is going to cause. And then we're going to look at this and understand what it means that Jesus, the son of God, is going to drink the cup and face the consequences that are with drinking that cup. So if you look at Jeremiah 25, you have this powerful prophecy by the prophet Jeremiah. And here we see where Jeremiah is listing again the sins of the people. The sins of the people. So if you start in verse 4. The first main sin of the people is this. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old and forever. So the first sin of the people is the sin that they just wouldn't listen. They just, they wouldn't, incline their ear or incline their heart to the words of God. They would rather live how they want, do what they want, when they want, where they want. So that's the first sin. They wouldn't listen to God. Verse six, Jeremiah goes on. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. That I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands in your own harm. So we see the first sin being they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't obey God, they wouldn't seek God. They wanted to do things according to their fallen sinful desire. And because of that, rather than worshiping and giving the one true God all the praise, glory, and honor, They made gods in their own likeness by their own hand that would enable them to live how they wanted. So first they have no regard for God and then they make gods according to their desire and their passions that are fallen and corrupted. So verse 8, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will sin for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. Now we're seeing the scope of this judgment going out to all nations. Verse 14, For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. And then verses 18 through 26 is this amazing list. And it, it, it's, it's a list of nations not as though it's an exhaustive list, but just showing that this is going to all nations, that this cup of the wrath of God, which will cause them to stumble drunk to their destruction is going to be given to all those who rebel and are disobedient against God. So just a way this list from 18 through 26 is just a a way to emphasize all nations. Every nation, tribe, people, language, this cup is going to be poured out. So verse 27. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Drink, be drunk, and vomit. Fall, and rise no more. Because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. So you have God Almighty speaking through Jeremiah and giving this prophecy to the people of God, but also to all the nations. And saying, there is a cup that you will drink. God will make you drink this cup unless someone drinks it for you. So this is Jesus in the garden. This is Jesus in the garden. So when Jesus falls down, face in the dirt. He's there in Gethsemane and he prays us and he prays us three times. Father, if there's any other way, but if there is no other way, your will be done. Your will be done. Because what Jesus understands is this. This cup that he is going to drink, the cup that he is praying about, is the cup of God's full, uncut, unmitigated wrath. His holy wrath. His furious anger. His righteous judgment. And for someone to drink of that, there's no escaping. If you drink down the cup of God's wrath, you are destroyed. That's what Jeremiah makes clear. This is what God makes clear through Jeremiah. So Jesus, he's there in the garden and he's agonizing. He's tormented. And he's not agonized and tormented because he's going to face physical suffering. That isn't what agonizes Jesus. Jesus isn't agonizing and, 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 and torn and crying out because of the unjust political system that he's going to be given over to. Jesus is not face in the dirt, bleeding from his forehead because he's praying so intensely and crying out to God. Because he's only going to live 30-some years old. What has Jesus' face in the dirt, sweating blood, and crying out to his Father, is he knows that he is going to drink. And he will be forsaken. 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 But it's a powerful thing when you look at Philippians or you look at Colossians where it describes this and describes what Christ is going through in particular Philippians and it talks about Jesus despising the shame because he knows that this is the will and way of God and he knows that he came to the earth for this very purpose to give his life, to drink the cup of God's wrath so that the people of God from every nation, every tribe, every language, the people who would have faith in him, the people to whom the Holy Spirit would make alive, the people who are the elect of God. He knows that if he drinks it for them, they will not have to drink it. That's what it all comes down to. That if Jesus would bear their sin and pay the full penalty of sin, for the wages of sin is death, then they could have life. If Jesus were to take the full wrath of God that they deserve on himself, then instead of wrath, they receive forgiveness. Reconciliation and love. It's an amazing thing to consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And to understand at the heart of his prayer is this cup. Is this cup? This cup is depicted again. If you turn to Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, we see a prophetic description of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah 25. So what Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 25, now we see in Revelation a depiction again of this cup. Revelation chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So again, we see this cup, this cup depicted So we see Jesus there and and Jesus, when he cries out about the cup, you see Jeremiah 25, when he cries out about the cup, you can see forward to Revelation 14 in this depiction of when God gives this cup out to the unbeliever, to the rebellious one who won't humble their heart, to the prideful who won't acknowledge their need for Christ as their Savior, And the cup is poured out for eternal destructive purposes of God's holy, just judgment. So again, in the midst of a passage of scripture of Matthew 26, where we see so much disobedience, so much selfish pride, so much self-preservation, Whether it's the disciples who say they will even go to death, yet flee. Whether it's again the three closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, who can't even stay awake in this most crucial time. To Judas, the one he calls friend, who comes to betray him with a kiss to the mob with swords and clubs to capture him sent by the chief priest and the Sanhedrin. The very people who are supposed to be leading people in the ways of God. Disobedience upon disobedience upon rebellion. But again, this was all to fulfill Scripture. Scripture. This was all the plan. This was always plan plan A. This was always the intent of God. From before creation, from before the fall, from before any sin and any death and any rebellion, when there was only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a book was written. Oh it's it's a good book. And it's the book of the lamb who was slain. It is everything to us that Jesus was willing to drink the cup of God's wrath. And he did this on the cross. And where you see it ultimately fulfilled is when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's the good news for us. As Romans 3 makes clear, starting at verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. And as 26 goes on, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus had to drink the cup on behalf of the elect because God made clear in Jeremiah 25 that everyone who sins must drink the cup of his wrath. So either we drink it or we trust and believe and have faith in Jesus Christ knowing that he drank it for us. That is how God is just and justifier of the elect. That is how God displays his righteousness. That is how God displays his love. That's how God displays his justice, his mercy, and his grace. All the attributes of God, all the truths concerning who he is, is on full display on the cross. That's why I just want to close this time with 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. As we looked in Matthew 26, Jesus is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And 1 Corinthians 6 makes clear what it means that Jesus died for sinners. That Jesus, the Holy One, dies for the unholy. That Jesus, the Perfect One, dies for the corrupt. 1 Corinthians 6 starting at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, Nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 And such were some of you. But, hallelujah. That verse can only continue. Because Jesus drank the cup. That verse can only continue because Jesus went to the cross to take the sins of his people, to take the wrath of God Almighty. That's why that verse can continue. Again, verse 11. And such were some of you. And what Paul is trying to convey here is every congregation... Every gathering of the people of God. We were all sinners. Each and every one of us, it doesn't matter what sins we committed, how we lived before. Each and every one of us, through our hard work and industrious spirit, have earned Eternal, conscious torment. Every single one of us, through our diligence, have earned God's wrath. Every single one of us. Every single one of us are professionals at incurring the wrath of God through our sin. But there's grace and there's mercy. Verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So that's just my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. That's my prayer. That's my hope for you. Sometime tomorrow, if you're able, with your families or friends, whoever you're able to gather back, I, I, I encourage you to, to come back to Matthew 26 and read, read 31 through 56. Just read that section of Scripture again. And just thank God that God so loved you and so loved His elect of every tribe, nation, language, and people that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to drink the cup. To drink the cup. So that whoever would believe in Him and trust Him That they wouldn't have to drink the cup. But they would have eternal life. That they would know God as the most loving. As the most caring. As the most compassionate and gracious and merciful Father. Beyond what they could ever hope and imagine. This is what takes place. When Jesus drinks the cup. On our behalf. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your son was so willing. We thank you that your son was so loving. We thank you that for the joy set before him Your son Jesus Christ despised the shame and went the way of the cross. That he went the way of drinking the cup of your wrath. That he went the way of being forsaken so that we could be forgiven. And that he died so that we could live. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes us alive to believe so that we can trust and know your comforting love. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen.